All right, this is Dark Days Radio, episode number 100, coming at you from Boston, from Sheffield, and from Fort Worth, Dallas, Texas. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Pretty good, yeah. Uh, I've done some gaming this week, so I'm happy. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and we've got Chick here, who's been playing what? Yeah, what have you been up to, Chick? Well, uh... First of all, it's great to be here. Thank you, guys. And I've been running a game of uh, Blades in the Dark. Ooh. It's, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know it, much about that. What, does it, what system is it running off? It is a fairly heavily modified version of uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. Ah. Uh, but it's really its own system. It, I mean, it has a lot in common with Powered by the Apocalypse. You can definitely see the roots there. But uh, it is its own system. And it is super fun. I was going to say, this is the same core system, essentially, that Cult runs off. Is that right? The new edition of Cult runs off a Powered by the Apocalypse type system? I am not familiar enough with the new edition of Cult to answer that question. I believe it does. And also City of Mist does, which is why it bakes my brain trying to get around how to play it. <laughs> awesome stuff. Thanks for that game update there, Chig. And today, in honor of episode number 100, covering one of the most requested books ever for Dark Days to review, very popular game line known as Kindred of the East. But uh, before we get to that, I also want to uh, bring up that we're actually going to be changing the format of Darker Days a little bit. It's mostly to, uh, you know, retain some sanity in, in our lives and uh, hopefully also get people content a little bit faster. So we're going to be breaking up episodes into shorter segments. So that means certain episodes will be just about World of Darkness games. Others will be just about Chronicles of Darkness. We'll talk about other horror and dark fantasy RPGs. And of course, we're going to have secret frequency episodes, which are just standalone, uh, you know, reviewing a certain creepy topic from the real world, and then also giving you some gaming advice to uh, show you how to use it uh, in your own game. So we're going to be trying this out a little bit, and uh, we definitely want to hear your feedback. So if you want to, you know, drop us a line over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com, tell us what you think, or maybe hop onto the Discord channel, which we'll have a link to in the show notes, or talk to us on Facebook or Twitter. We really appreciate um, your thoughts on the new format, how it's working out, and all that. Can I just add to that? It'd be great if people can leave reviews as well via iTunes or on Facebook, leave a review there, because obviously those type of reviews help expand our listeners, so people who could benefit from the show will find the show more easily yeah absolutely so as i mentioned today we're going to be covering kindred of the east we're going to be talking about the setting primarily and then for next week's episode we're going to be going through character creation and talking about the rules a little bit so today we're getting setting next time we're going to get down into the uh more crunchy bits of the game so i think with that let's move on over to the world of darkness segment classic world of dark all right, Kindred of the East. Does someone want to tackle this, you know, right off the bat? You know, just give us your, your initial thoughts, some of your, your history with the game. I mean, does anyone even remember when they purchased this? How it even, uh... like, got into their collection? <laughs> because I, barely, I didn't buy mine. I know. It, I, think I, it I didn't buy mine collection. either. I think I'm it just, like, appeared there. I'm pretty sure, yeah, mine grew out of the shelf between... Uh regular vampire books and kindred of the ebony kingdom i don't know how it got there but uh there are, i also have several source books on my shelf so apparently i i read them at some point yeah it's it's interesting you know there's a lot of copies floating around it's actually very inexpensive if you want to check out kindred of the east and 
you know, it's it's accessible, but we haven't really heard too much about an update from White Wolf. Uh, there had been some talk about a group of uh, Korean players doing their own take and updates, but I haven't heard anything about that in a couple of years now, so yeah. we'll have to see what happens. Um, I think the thing is with it is where my kind of um, main kind of contact with Kindred of the East and interest with it started and then dwindled was because in the let me think, is it Council of Primogen book? It has about how you can have different setups of Primogen councils and of course mm-hmm. it explains that you could have a um, Kindred of the East on that council and given I was in the, the start of doing my um, Manchester by Night setting just before Requiem came out I was like okay that's what I'm going to do and then Requiem came out and I was like no I'm going to do this because now I can have Eastern Kindred who don't have the same origins as other Kindred because Requiem supports that and you've got the Burakam in, in that so so that's where my kind of playing with Kindred East began and kind of ends really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Chig, have you ever played Kindred of the East before we uh, dive into the uh, the setting here? Oh, Lord, no. No, never once. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this could be very interesting. But, um, you know, a lot of people are, are huge fans of this. And uh, I got to say, after reading through the book, I do have some ideas. It did pass the Chup test and gave me some inspiration for characters to use later on. So there's definitely some value here. And I think it's time that we just start to dig right into it. So what Kindred of the East. Yeah, Kindred <laughs> of the East is uh is a vampire source book. It's a source book for Vampire the Masquerade second edition, actually, and requires that for, for use. It's about these monsters from East Asia known as the Kuei Jin, who are people that have died and they've become unliving, feeding off of blood, breath, and the psyche of mortals around them. So they're a bit different than the uh, the Western-style kindred of Vampire the Masquerade. And the book itself draws many, many comparisons and allusions between the two uh, pretty much constantly. So you can see that it's really meant to be a companion in many ways to Vampire the Masquerade. The Quajin exists in this kind of state of transition, following one of their dharmic paths as they transcend to a higher state or just betray those virtues and, you know, join the suffering in the streets of the uh, world of darkness. And the Quajin are vampires, uh, obviously inspired by East Asian and Southeast Asian uh, mythology. Um, They have to drink in chi from mortals, or else their bodies start to stiffen with rigor mortis and uh, decay over time. Um, A lot of the younger uh, Kuei Jin, who are just starting along their dharmic paths, actually need to drink the blood of mortals. But others are able to uh, kind of like drink in or suck in the breath of mortals uh, in that kind of like a breath stealer uh, sort of manner. Or they can actually gain chi through osmosis from their surroundings if they're attuned to uh, nature and in the correct place. I have a question about this real fast. Um, yeah. Okay, so they have to they have to get chi they're called the kindred of the east do they have to get it from blood or can we have actual zombies or nagaraja type quajin who eat the flesh of people uh yeah you're correct i did leave that out so the ones that are at the very lowest rung of their dharmic path or not even following their dharmic path at that point um 
I forgot the name of them, but at that point, they do become these flesh-eating, um, half-decayed beings. So I believe they are, those are called the Chi Mei, although I'm probably right, yeah. horribly mispronouncing that as I am not fluent in any Asian language. Yeah, so they, they have a lot of different options, basically, for how you can represent these Eastern vampires, which is cool. It's interesting. There's a lot of variety to it. But what doesn't have a lot of variety to it is like the the personal journey of the Kuei Jin. Um, as it stands in the core book, and we'll talk about some of the source books later, which really expands the scope of the game, the Kuei Jin are forced to be on one of these dharmic paths or else they become pretty much an unplayable character. And this puts them on a very intensely personal religious experience. And while some are still able to at very low values of their, their dharmic path, uh, you know, pursue very earthly interests uh, in the world of darkness, most of them are on this path to ascend to a uh, much more ascetic kind of state. Mm. Of course, the, uh, the Kuei Jin have many different origins, but the most common of them is their creation by the uh, Scarlet Empress and the Ebon Dragon. This is a, a creation story, not a, uh, my mommy was the Scarlet Empress and my yeah. daddy. Right, this is not, John the Kuei Jin came from this. This is, this is the as a whole, or this is the Cain story for the Kuei Jin. Yes, pretty much. Um, although if you play Exalted, everything becomes much more literal. Yeah, I'll chime in on that one. So there's the idea of the the two, which is the Scholar Empress and the Ebon Dragon, which I think really are meant to be standing, you know, White Wolf kind of created these two entities to be stand-ins for like the, the dragon and the tiger, which make up yin and yang um there they also have some other geysers they talk about within japanese and you know korean mythology but essentially one is a entity of creation and one is an entity of of more contemplation and i guess also perhaps a more destructive force because it, it you know leads to nothingness um and is a representative of the underworld um so they also i guess re represent you tie into the parts of the soul that we'll get into but that's one element and as they say the scarlet empress has has some parallels to uh, to lilith and then there's another bit which was uh, let me just see um you know that the the kaijin there's a lot of there's a bit of spiel about how the kaijin um obviously laugh in the face of of um of kindred because they think it's absolute nonsense, the idea that Cain is the origin of, of vampires and that kindred are, are descended from one of the first children, you know, the, one of the first humans ever. Uh, and I think that's that's interesting because if you consider that, if you, if you really get into um, Chinese uh, history and, and also look at how far back uh, a lot of this mythology goes and uh, their society goes and so forth. I think we there's an opportunity there to explore things of like, um, you know, Gehenna and so forth, because we're also now in V5 talking about cyclic Gehenna. So I think there's a lot there we can, we can play about with. But yes, the Kaijin have multiple origins. That's kind of like a good basic, uh, you know, explanation of, you know, what the Kuei-jin are. But one of the more interesting aspects is kind of how they're created and how that differs from, say, uh, vampires from Vampire the Masquerade. But it's actually really similar to other entities in the World of Darkness setting itself. So 
the Quajin was once a mortal uh, who has been cursed. Uh, during life or in the event of sudden death, their Poe awakens, which is the kind of dark animalistic half of their soul. So you could see parallels, of course, to the beast in Vampire the Masquerade, but you can also see some similarities to the shadow in Wraith the Oblivion right there. It's definitely meant to be the shadow. I'm pretty sure that Wraith the Great War that we covered previously mentions that it is that uh, the kindred of the uh, uh, Dark Kingdom of Jade refer to their shadow as the Poe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, in fact, there's a lot of reference to the shadow playing rules of Wraith the Oblivion uh, in Kindred of the East. So you can see the crossover right there when it's actually telling you to borrow these rules. From there, once the uh, Quajin has died, their conflicted soul, which is divided between the Po, which is the dark side, and the Hun, which is the more enlightened side, is whisked away to this abyssal realm known as the Thousand Hells. Um, and most souls that enter the Thousand Hells are torn asunder, but the Quajin survives through strength of will and is faced with a choice. They can either wander the Shadowlands as a lost soul or claw their way back to the world of the living. And the uh, Quajin rises once more, re-inhabiting their original body and continuing its existence as this cursed, chi-fueled monster. Now, Mike, that's the, the, the Poe aspect the, the shadow aspect of the soul returns mm-hmm. from the underworld. So the the higher aspect is it the 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 hun? Is it hung? Hun? Let me just check. Yes. Yep, that's correct. Yeah. That that remains about the body, doesn't it? Uh while while the Poe is off in the underworld. Uh no, I believe both parts of the both Poe and Hun go to the underworld. I th- thought i read that the ho- the the hun can actually uh you know haunt the body and it can the hun can actually get stuck in the body yeah without the poe there we um, go. Okay. which i'm not sh- i don't know if it actually mechanically explains what that represents um i guess it's just like a soul or, or knowledge and spirit is stuck there but uh it doesn't necessarily come back as a equation like entity or, yeah, or anything yeah, yeah, else sure. Because it's the union of both parts again within this dead body, which is what causes the animation. Right, correct, correct. Now, Chig, you've actually pointed out uh, that there's some logical problems with this whole creation process, this whole second breath of the uh, the Quay Jin. Because specifically, it takes them an average of 49 days or less than two months to return to their body. And that has some problems in... Uh, many east asian and south asian cultures doesn't it well that has problems all over the world but primarily in asian cultures uh where the majority of bodies are uh, cremated on death uh even let's say that you're one of the rare people whose body is not cremated one of the three tenths of a percent or whatever i believe we found that it was in japan and uh your your body is buried or you know you're not discovered when you're you're dead after 30 days, your body begins liquefying. There's not going to be much left of you. This isn't, you know, the Walking Dead style, you know, oh, there's a zombie over there. This is, you know, a desiccated skeletal corpse after 30 days or so. If it takes 50 or 60 days to uh, make your way back from the underworld, you're not making your way back to much. Yeah, the book does kind of 
tackle this a little bit. They mentioned that um, uh, the bodies kind of reform into uh, somewhat a state resembling how they were before they died. And in fact, there's artwork to kind of strongly indicate that some of these Quajin come back and they are these like half decayed corpses. Um, and they're just ravenously looking for, for chi energy. Um, and it also does bring up in a couple places. It's like the writers realized after they wrote half the book that cremation is so common that they uh, brought up that like, yeah, well, the, the ashes can come back together and reform so i guess like the body can just the reformed quajin just busts out of a small urn or um the scattered ashes in the sea somehow migrate back to each other but uh yeah there's a lot of just weird logical inconsistencies in that regard um you could easily just hand wave this and bring up that the the quajin just return in essentially a new body um which kind of just avoids that whole problem well, I mean, also we're we're going over the uh, logical inconsistencies of people who have returned from literal hell. So we we might be you know nitpicking here, but uh, magic did it is a thing that we can just say. Yeah, yeah. And then the thing this brings us to as well um, then is the parallels of this to risen. Is that because there's a par- there's a parallel to explore there because also in wraith you have risen. And they go through a similar process, don't they, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. And their bodies can be quite decayed uh, when they when they return to them. So uh, it does somewhat mirror the Risen. There's actually, I mean, there's a lot in here that mirrors the Risen. And in fact, if you go to page 10 of Kindred of the East, it says, and I'm going to quote here, uh, Cathayans resemble the creatures known in the West as the Risen but it is primarily their process of creation that differs from the Risen uh, of Wraith the Oblivion. Unlike the Wraith, who uses Arkanoi to re-inhabit their body, the Quajin undergo the second breath. Hmm. Another weird thing right there, they frequently call the Quajin Cathayans, which is like an old term for uh, people living in China, yeah. which is like not super accurate, and you shouldn't do that. Um, it's not like really problematic, it's just weird. Um, that's going to be my explanation for a lot of things in this book. It's I, just weird. Yeah. I would only use the term Cathayan if you were role-playing some anachronistic uh, kindred who dates from the time of before, I don't know, the Boxer Rebellion, something like that. Yeah, he refers to all Asians yeah. as Cathayans and all uh, Middle Easterners as Muslimen. Yeah, it, right, it, right, right. It's that level of anachronistic. So yeah, uh, yeah. so I wouldn't use it otherwise. Um, actually, just something else to pick up on, because I was on the, the page about the second breath, and it says, this process takes itself takes relatively little time as the denizens of the Middle Kingdom reckon it. Generally, a Quijin rate rises no later than two months after its mortal death. So anywhere up to two months is how long. And of course, time flows weirdly in the underworld as well, especially if you go into the really deep, dark bits of it, which is interesting because... If I'm right, for a risen to return to its body, they have to go into the, go down into the deepest, darkest bits uh, towards the abyss because they actually have to come to a place where they can actually face their spect- uh, their shadow face to face, as it were, um, and then make the deal in order to come back. So the question is then left on is left here is how come Kaijin can this happens quite during, and this 
this manner, yet Arisen has to go through what's quite an arduous process in order to come back to their body. Well, um, to, to be fair, the uh, Quaijin do have to go to, to one of the Thousand Hells. So, so basically they it all can have be, to go to hell some, in some manner. Yeah, some, some, some kind of hellish dimension has to be traveled to and uh, made a way through somehow. So is it possible to say that in that the Kwaijin also make a bargain with their, their shadow, their Po, and that's what ultimately lets them back? But then the difference between Kwaijin and, and uh, Risen is, am I right in thinking that in, with Risen, their shadow doesn't occupy the same body at the same time? It actually occupies a talisman or an animal because they're a bit crow-like. Oh, the, the Risen are, are not crow-like. They are crow ripoffs. Yeah, um, right. 100%. Um, mm. But yeah, I guess that is... that is Well, that and the uh, the magical abilities and uh, the requirement to uh, to eat chi in some form or another is uh, are the, the big systemic differences between the two. Yeah. Mm, I mean... Okay. When you get down to it, there isn't too much difference between chi and pathos. You know, one is chi is like negative and positive energy of the world, and uh, which which frequently takes the form of emotions or is connected to emotions, as opposed to pathos, which literally is um, power of emotions. Okay, well, y you say that, but I don't think risen can live off of the energy of nature itself. Which is something that uh, that uh, Quajin can do, right? I'm just kind of pointing out the the similarities. I mean, in my own personal headcanon, the Quajin are a very weird version or or tangent version of Risen. Yeah, um, and I think that really just works out well in the the setting overall. Yeah. So I, why I, is it a vampire source book? <laughs> I th yeah. Good well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Chig, Chig. I'm just going to bring this up. Risen is also a vampire source book. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, okay. I cannot, I can't really argue there, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say something about, because we'll get onto this with the rule system as well. There's actually, because it's the twin souls, the, almost the twin souls kind of thing with with um, with the Kwaijin compared to the Risen, there's actually more similarity between Kwaijin and, and um, Sin Eaters in, in Chronicles of Darkness as well. So... So that's an entirely different book of worms to open, uh, but you know, can of worms and uh, to to go into. But anyway, we'll carry on with the main point, which is these are these are bodies that are reanimated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry about that little tangent there, but um, you know, the interesting thing actually that this brings up is that the core difference between the Risen and the Quajin is the fact that the Quajin have these dharmic paths and they have this uh, religious element which is largely missing from uh, the Risen themselves. So let's talk about the uh, the dharmic paths a little bit. They're essentially these philosophical schools of the Quajin. There's five of them in the uh, the core rulebook and a few more in uh, some of the, the supplements. And they are linked to one of the Quajin's virtues, and interestingly, they're actually usually pretty agnostic from uh, real-world religions. So that gives you a, a little bit of room to play with some of these. I mean, are they though? For the most part, I mean, there's no like this is the this is like the the Islam Dharmic path, or this is the 
the Taoist Dharmic Path. Oh no, There's there is one hundred percent a Taoist Dharmic Path. It's the temp- the Tempest of Inward Focus. It's in the uh, one, it's the, <laughs> right, one of the heretical right. dharmas. But okay, I mean, I they they're they're very the core somewhat... five. The core five though uh, are fairly okay. fairly you know thematically bland with regard to religion. True. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm saying here. I mean, obviously they're inspired by some white wolf writer glancing over some religious textbooks at some point and just kind of trying to get like a a a American writer's feel of how eastern religion could be or eastern philosophy could be. Yeah. But it doesn't really have a lot of, you know, specific well-researched groundings. I I guess what I'm it like is, uh, you're, getting, you're, getting you're forward correct here. there. It is, is a very uh eastern philosophy 101 take on uh on the uh the dharma orthodoxies. Right, right. So let's just talk about the the five um dharmic paths real quick. I'm just going to give you like the real bare bones explanation right here. Uh, the first one is the Howl of the Devil Tiger. Uh, these follow the virtue of Poe, which, as you may recall, is like the uh, the more animalistic, dark side of the soul that all the Quajin have. Uh, they tend to be more sadomasochistic, they hurt themselves and others, and they try to feed that primal half of them. There's also the Ways of the Resplendent Crane, who follow the virtue of Hun, which, as we mentioned, is the more enlightened half of the soul. It's the higher self and it's opposed to Poe. The cranes believe suffering flows from imperfection, and they seek to control themselves and the world around them and other people uh, through laws and through enlightenment. There's the Song of the Shadow, which follows the virtue of yin. Uh, Yin is negative energy, the negative principle of death, and is a uh, portion of chi energy in the world. Uh, The shadows who actually have a pretty cool secondary name of the Bone Flowers, which I kind of wish they'd used uh, overall, uh, are, they're immortal, but they're also very morbid and obsessed with death. And they seek knowledge and try to discover things about the uh, modern, ancient, and demon worlds. They're the uh, Fu Manchu stereotype clan. Right, right, right. I'm sorry, Dharma. (laughs) Right, (laughs) There's also the Path of a Thousand Whispers, which follow the virtue of balance. So they try to balance their yin and yang chi energy, and also to find some common grounds between their hun and po. The most dedicated whisperers must go to extremes, sometimes killing what they love or preserving what pains them to help maintain that stability. And finally, there's the Dance of a Thrashing Dragon, which follows the virtue of yang. So they're very connected to the principle of, of life, of positive chi energy, and all that's associated with it. So they're very energetic, um, they get powered by strong life force, and they try to indulge themselves in ever-changing brilliance, and they also have sweet, shape-shifting cool powers. And now we get to uh, my favorite portion of the dharmas. How, as a person who has recently died, gone to hell, clawed your way out of your shallow grave, or reformed yourself from the urn on uh, your descendant's uh, mantelpiece, how, after you've eaten, you know, enough people to be, you know, to have a, uh, a rational thought, do you say to yourself, hey, you know what? I should be super lawful. That is clearly what is the next step in my existence. Who thinks this? Who, upon becoming... A completely individual. Remember, you don't have 
anybody embraced you. You were not trained by a, a, a higher wizard to become this. You were not a, a Giovanni, so your grandpa isn't also your uncle and also your sire. How do you come to this conclusion that this is how you want to live the rest of your immortal life? It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's really tough. And I think there's an element of an implied setting here, uh, which the book doesn't really get into, but it seems to be there. I was actually going to bring this up in the next episode for the rules portion, but there's a whole system of how your Dharma can cycle, how it can increase and decrease back down to zero. And at Dharma zero, you become this kind of flesh-eating zombie, you enter a mad state, and you need to be basically uh, cleansed through a ritual either by like your your party mates or by some mentor or someone like that. And that seems to be, in my view, why a lot of Quajian uh, society exists, why you have these different courts, is because you need to have um, Quajian on the lookout to essentially keep up their masquerade or, uh, you know, prevent interference from Hengeyokai or other creatures in the world of darkness to basically be on the lookout for these new Quajin entering existence and either destroying them or saving them uh, through one of these dharmic paths. But unfortunately, the book is not very clear on that. And really, it's kind of a, a big blank in, in the book, uh, at least in the core book that I've read. You know, it's mm. entirely possible that the, uh, the companion source book player's guide covers all of this but I, that is one that i have not read so yeah fair enough listeners if if this is covered somewhere please write in and let me know tell <laughs> me to stop being a pedant and just uh, accept that this is also a magical thing or that it is covered somewhere in a book right 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 so yeah there's a there's a lot of cool ideas in here is there anything else we want to talk about uh with regard to the the existence of the quajin or how they relate to other you know world of darkness creatures I mean, Mike. I mean, the big thing is we did a World of Darkness Berlin. You um, you made the um, the, the nice little um, Venn diagram of undead, and yeah. so we have. So if we position uh, Quijin within this, so we've got we've got kindred who are a form of undead. They are embraced, so they are an external force causes them to become to, to become the state that they are and their let's just say their soul is in some way corrupted because it allows the the i guess the act of embrace awakens the po which is the beast is that a good way to think about this yeah yeah the the beast or the yeah. shadow from wraith i would yeah. say the the very act of embrace is what awakens that whereas with the kaijin we've got a undead that can take energy chi in a manner of of methods and has the 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 hun and the po you know the regular wraithly spirit and the shadow inhabiting one body at the same time and they just come back from hell the other the you know, the um underworld wherever to do that risen are again similar to that but they're they they I can't remember. Can Risen take Pathos by drinking blood as well? No, I don't think so. But they can. I, they can definitely eat other ghosts, can't they? They can eat. I, I'm sure there's something like that. I read with some of the Arkanoi allows them to obviously gain Pathos doing that. 
um, and possibly breath stealing or something like that from a living being. And then we have, so they're quite similar. And then we've got mummies. So how do mummies compare with all this? Because they're again a form of undead with particular paths. Yeah, yeah. And they also, um, if they get destroyed, they have to walk through the uh, the dark kingdom of sands. Yeah, and uh, reform their bodies to come back. They have to go to that kind of hellish existence. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between the the Quajin and and mummies. So, um, except it's not really hell for the mummies. It's you know they're the dark kingdom of sand. I mean it's it's an underworld, but it's one where they are in charge. So it's not bad for them to go to their underworld. It's not not ideal, not great, not where they want to be. Right, but things can happen to them as they walk across the sand. Because they, they have to basically, they end up like in the wilderness, essentially. They have to make their way back to the main city before they can be recreated by Osiris. And this is in Mummy the Resurrection. Yeah. I don't remember how it works uh, in Mummy 2nd Edition. That is in Mummy 2nd Edition. In Mummy the Resurrection, if you'll recall, the dark kingdom of sand was destroyed by the avatar storm which destroyed all of the egyptian mummies which are now um shards that are inhabiting mortals right that's mm, mummy the okay. resurrection thank you thanks thanks for reviewing it's it reminded it's kind of like what i understand sin eaters to be kind of yeah yes yep. but not really yeah and I guess the the thing with what was I going to say with all of this? Because um, <laughs> oh yeah, so mummies obviously feed on and and I say feed, but their main power is sekem, which of course comes through ley lines, just as chi flows through dragon lines, which are basically ley lines, and they have dragon nests, which is basically verges or or, or particular haunted places. Um, which I guess you also get with mummy, and you definitely have with wraiths because there are haunted locations which are dripping in in pathos or or energy in that way. Um, so really, the question I've got then this is the big question is really is the thing which distinguishes each of these types of undead is really actually they would if you if you had a world free of any particular form of religion and any particular history of theology and, and rituals around death and ideas of what the afterlife is, mummies, risen, and Jin, I think, are all essentially the same. It's just that they're local, the local mechanisms uh, uh, which of death, which their religions have, have created... Are what changes the balance between how their their parts of their souls operate. So they kind of over you know kind of re that religion enforces how that balance works. And if anything, then our kindred kindred are the odd ones out, where the curse of Cain or the curse of of that type of 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 that is what breaks the rules of of the balance between the Hun and the Po. One um, day I will sit down and write out Chig's unified theory of the soul and how every mortal in the world of darkness has an avatar 
and how uh, <laughs> no no this is this is this is yeah. uh, world of darkness canon they all have avatars mages have awakened avatars vampires avatars were eaten and replaced by uh the legacy of cain which is the beast um changelings don't have avatars because they're not mortal that part of their soul was replaced with the fae soul um who else we got werewolves have the uh or shapeshifters rather because not just werewolves have a a uh, a spirit animal type soul and melded onto theirs instead of a human avatar and the uh the poe and the wraith are what happen or what's left to fill the void after your avatar moves on to your moves on to its next existence when you die yeah Ah, so in Mummy the Resurrection, then... Their avatar, which I believe is called the Ka soul yeah. in Mummy, yeah, uh, yeah. has been permanently welded to their Ba, which is their body. Which is why their their body keeps reforming. The avatar cannot move on. It's also why the mummies were destroyed in the Avatar Storm. But doesn't the shard of the other mummy... Isn't that, like their avatar so is there two avatars stuck in there uh in the resurrected yes yes they in fact canonically have two uh have two avatars they have Holy they shit. have their human avatar and they have this mummy avatar fragment that slammed into them <laughs> during the avatar storm hmm. which is what nice. which is why they have the abilities that they do they are super full of life that's right yeah yeah Anyway, getting back to Kindred oh, of yeah, the East. Oh, yeah, Kindred of the East. Quay Jin. Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So I, I think we should talk about... Uh, so we've talked about what they are, uh, what their beliefs are, but how do you actually play this game? Like, what are you supposed to do? What's the setting? So, of course, uh, one of the main conceits of Kindred of the East is the Wheel of Ages. So it just seems that the World of Darkness is not really linear, but is in this great cycle uh, following the Wheel of Ages. And with uh, with each passing age, uh, life has become more desperate and less magical until now we're in the Fifth Age, which is pretty bad. Um, the Quajin know, however, that uh, the Sixth Age is going to follow, which is going to be the darkest time, the darkest timeline. Uh, perhaps... There will be Gehenna, perhaps there will be the Apocalypse, perhaps Winter. I'm pretty sure that's um, when the uh, the dragons come back and the uh, trolls become cyberdeckers. And... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's a different that's... sixth age, my, my mistake. Yeah. Um, but the Quajin have one comfort. They know that as the wheel turns, and if these immortals can survive, uh, the wheel will continue to turn as magic and yang return to the world. So there's a there's a hopeful aspect to it, hmm. and uh, people that are fans of Shadowrun, as uh, Chig just alluded to, or uh, Exalted, are going to instantly notice some similarities right here. Uh, Shadowrun, of course, takes its cues from the Mayan calendar, um, and Exalted was originally supposed to be the second age in this uh, great wheel, this great cycle going on. Um, so yeah, pretty cool stuff. Okay, so Exalted is the second age. Yeah. The yes. modern world of darkness is the fifth age. Correct. Does that make the world prior to world or yeah, prior, prior to the first world war the fourth age? 
Correct. Yes. Uh, the the age of Twilight, as you mentioned, yeah. when we talked about Wraith the Great War, so, was indeed the fourth so age. So the third age would be the age of wonder, the uh, the mythic age, and all of the uh, other World of Darkness lines, the pre-shattering, uh, the time before the uh, the the Umbra was cut off, all that fun stuff. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. This is only if you assume that Exalted is well. Actually, everything you said is true. We're just also assuming that Exalted is the second age, which it no longer is but was for like a hot minute mm. before the world of darkness. Yeah. I remember the ads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. The other assumption about Kinch of the East is that you're going to be probably playing in the setting known as the middle kingdom, uh, which historians will notice is uh, an old an ancient name really for the empire of China. But uh, this book assumes that that's the default setting of modern day China, Japan, sometimes Korea, occasionally Indochina and Southeast Asia, and even India, depending on how the writer feels that day. Mm, depending on which heresies you're using. Yeah, exactly. Actually, a funny thing I noticed is they have a, a, a region map in uh, the book, and it actually forgets the country of Bhutan. It just makes, like, Nepal super big and, like, consumes it, which is um, oh, dear. an unfortunate mistake. To be fair, who amongst us has not forgotten the country of Bhutan at least once? Uh, you know, it happens. It does. To all of our Bhutanese listeners out there, sorry. I apologize. Now, the Middle Kingdom is home to a complex system of magic. You have the chi ley lines that crisscross the land, known as dragon tracks. And you've got these powerful uh, crays, which are collection points known as dragon's nests. That's where, like, it's the, uh, the nexus of all these different dragon tracks. And, of course, the Shadowlands... Uh, is controlled by the complex and bureaucratic Dark Kingdom of Jade. And obviously we've got the uh, the Thousand Hells and all the different spirit worlds uh, in this setting itself. So while we're talking about the spirit world, and since we've uh, already gone over the similarities, why are these ghosts allowed to enter the uh, the actual uh, Umbras? The the Umbra of the Mage, the, uh, the Upper Umbra, and the Umbra of the... Uh, werewolves and other shifters the middle umbra why uh is it because is it because it'll sell more books chig i mean almost assuredly it's because hey we can do crossovers with this but (laughs) right (laughs) in canon in 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 setting in character why is this a thing aside from it's just you know it'd be neater i think there's um i think what they're trying to get at is clearly that in at least if you get look at east asia and mythology and folklore there's a lot more of a established hierarchy of spirits and entities and how all these interact whereas i guess from a western aspect we have this distinct separation and you know you you never mix with these things but it's more natural at least in in eastern folklore for you know, people to walk into some spirit realm and talk with, you know, various other entities there and also talk to ghosts. I mean, you only have to look at spirited away as a as an example of of how that that those ideas work into um modern day cinema, uh, where they're talking about spirits. So I think it has a basis in their culture for why you could have that crossover quite happily. It just seems like uh, 
Western race kind of get the short end of the stick in this transaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, they, I guess there are some cultural reasons for that, uh, which you can you can kind of hand wave this with. But yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. The book gives you a whole bunch of different uh, uh, places that uh, the Quajin can go to, can travel to, and gives you a lot of flexibility to interact with both the real world and real world issues, but also adventure off and do some more mythological things as well. In fact, the book really does try to contrast the uh, kind of unique magical secret world of what they call the Middle Kingdom and the brutal authoritarianism of many East Asian and Southeast Asian governments. Um, showing that uh, while you can have this like super-powered uh, vampire, Kindred of the East, Kuei Jin, um, it's, a, it's a setting in a world that's fraught with danger and oppression, which is um, you know, pretty in keeping with the world of darkness. But when you, as you continue to kind of read this, one thing you might notice is, um, you know, what, what are you really going to do in this game? How are you going to play it? There's a lot of very conflicting elements. And while a lot of people are going to criticize uh, Kindred of the East for its you know, poor understanding of East Asian cultures, religions, uh, the many elements of exoticism, and uh, even potential racism, I think what we want to focus on, because it's a lot more beneficial for you know, our listeners, is uh, the issue of, of game structure and like what you're actually supposed to do in this game. When you read Vampire the Masquerade or Vampire the Requiem, you can see instantly that uh, city politics are is really the default assumption of the game. You're going to be interacting with the Camarilla or the different covenants and uh, maybe vying to become one of the different positions in the city and the, the natural gameplay that comes out of that. If you read Wraith the Oblivion, you can see instantly that transcendence is your goal and the rest of the setting is there to just distract you from that. And then Werewolf the Forsaken, you have all the territory management and... Uh, you know, interaction with the spirit world. Also, werewolf the apocalypse. Yeah, you're just you know trying to monkey wrench yeah. Pentex and fight back against the worm. It's a, it's it's an obvious, uh, straightforward game structure. There's a thing that you're supposed to do, and this is it. Right now, for Kindred of the East, there's a real mishmash, a real a bunch of conflicting setting setting elements here that we've kind of mentioned. So, you've got the religious asceticism of the uh, the dharmic paths and in a lot of cases with your dharmic path as you ascend higher and be get, become more powerful your character is more and more limited in how they can act um because the the dharmic path gets more binding and constrictive you also have a lot of uh elements of a lot of inspiration that comes from like kung fu movies and hong kong action flicks like uh you know john woo stuff uh, you can see that a lot in the artwork, and when you get into the discipline section of the rules, it's all—it's pretty much all like combat disciplines and mm. different power-ups for combat, um, which we'll talk about a little bit more in the uh, the rules section. But uh, it kind of—it kind of stands out right here that if you just look at the character creation rules, it's really angling you towards that kind of combat element. And the book even refers to a lot of anime like Akira and Vampire Hunter D. But there's really, like, zero thematic relevance between those works and Kindred of the East. It's really weird. I was going to say, it's really weird they cite Vampire Hunter D, given um, the age... Well, when did this book come out? 1990... 
1998. It Vampire was the year D- of the Lotus. Right, so Vampire to D Bloodlust hadn't even come out by that point. So there, let's be honest, Vampire Hunter D, it's not like, is is much more of a, a classic style anime. It's not like on the level of like Akira or things that came after Akira in quality. Mm. And Vampire Hunter D is barely about vampires, really, because it's such a weird kind of far future where vampires exist, but, you know, they're kind of mutants and monsters as well. It's really a weird, weird uh, point of reference. Uh, when they could have chosen... Well, let me... Hold on, what are the other... I'm just flicking through to the points of reference on this. There's so many better anime they could actually have, have gone for. I mean, true, this is now... Yeah, we're talking. It depends upon the date. There's so there's like a, a film called Wicked City that has a lot of strange kind of like demons that are very body horror, which I think fits in with kind of the things that we see in um, both in anime and in Japanese body horror films, like Tokyo Gore Police. I think is one where they have some really insane kind of creature design. Uh, Demon City is another one. Again, it has elements uh, of religion in that as well. There's a, a series called X as well, which is about the apocalypse is coming and about these these um, people that embody different spiritual essences that are protecting like ley lines around Tokyo because it's the crux of you know the uh, axis of the world, as it were. And then there's, I think, also notably is also look at Death Note because there you've got these uh, shimigami, these spirits of death. So those are better things to look at rather than, you know, Akira is really just so you get an idea. Well, it doesn't even give you an idea of Tokyo because it's neo Tokyo. It just gives you an idea of like, I don't know, apocalypse cults. Um, I think uh, that uh, Kindred of the East might predate that last one, Death Note. Oh, definitely, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Big Trouble in Little China, I guess, is, yeah, as I say, it's goofy, but you get, uh, yeah, you, you know, it's maybe for the visuals, and that is it. But I would, um, I, oh, okay, they've got Demon City on here. I would, I would pretty much like ignore most of the movies on here, maybe. I would ignore anime for the most yes. part when, uh, if I was going to make a, a Kindred of the East game. I was going to do like a one shot or something because it doesn't give you a very good basis for real world East Asia. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's just it's a little strange. Now, going through the storyteller section, you can kind of parse out uh, a few of the suggested directions to take the game. And again, they're they're kind of going a little bit all over the place. Uh, one, of course, is a, a revenge story, very personal story, a la, you know, Revenant Myths or the Crow film that we already mentioned. Um, another very strongly metaplot uh, element that you can follow is the Great Leap Outward, uh, in which the uh, Kuei Jin begin to invade West Coast North America by following uh, Chinese and East Asian uh, immigrants. Mm. It's... um. I don't know. It, it's it's. I think it's not great. <laughs> Just three short centuries after they first started coming to the West Coast. There's some meta plot reason for it, but it, it's it's really in a lot of ways tied to that kind of exoticism uh, element. I mean, okay, if you want to have Kindred of the East in your st- in your standard 
vampire the masquerade game oh sure we're in a in a place that has a lot of uh uh of uh asian mortals so of course there, there will be eastern kindred there that just makes sense i guess that's one way to do it hmm yeah yeah absolutely if if you want uh the quajin to be specifically linked to uh asian culture um and have that be a driving force in their creation for whatever magical reason um yeah they would have been here for for centuries um and you can still have that that kind of you know conflict cultural conflict ethnic conflict if that's what you want to cover um with the the quajin themselves uh, but the the meta plot elements with like them invading San Francisco and stuff is it, it's just a little bizarre in uh, in my opinion. From there, um, another thing you can cover is uh, vice lords, so you know gang wars and drug trafficking in Southeast Asia. There's of course the shadow war, which occurs between the different courts of the Kuei Jin. It's really just like the the sect wars of Vampire the Masquerade. Um, but it has its own really weird twilight and midnight structure where you switch from the Cold War, kind of similar to the, the Covenants in Vampire the Requiem, where they're just kind of stabbing each other in the back, to the Midnight State, where you enter that hot war and there's uh, blood in the streets. And then finally, mythological adventures. So kind of just exploring East Asian myth, you know, taking a, a more fantastical approach to the... Uh, um, the Dharmic paths and their interaction uh, with the Middle Kingdom send it, setting itself. So that's it. That's what I got. That's that's kind of what the book had. But as you can see, it's it's going off in a lot of different directions. Um, you know, from street level gang wars to you know these big overarching invasions, if you will, to uh, other countries. It's not as tightly focused as many other World of Darkness games are. Hmm. Yeah, I'd be I'd be hard pressed to know where to begin constructing it. I would, <sighs> yeah, where where to begin? I think the possibly the most in the most interesting bit. So you're not doing a complete kind of how can I say doing the setting, <laughs> to, you know, making committing as many sins to the setting is looking at places like San Francisco or other places where there is a sizable East Asian population so that that, that culture has kind of begun to uh, overlay itself. So both, and when I mean culture it begins to overlay itself, I mean supernaturally as well. So it's making mm -hmm. inroads that way. So, um, you know, Manchester in the UK has a sizable Chinatown. London does as well. I mean, Manchester, because obviously it's a it was a massive trading port, uh, Dusseldorf is known to have, you know, has a huge Japanese population there. Uh, so you, you can then begin to flavor it to a particular group rather than say, oh, look, treat them all the, you know, treat all these East Asian cultures in one big polyglot of, of nonsense, which at times Kindred East does. Mm hmm. Yeah. Actually, you know, it's kind of interesting that you brought that up. And uh, our uh, Australian correspondent, Pete, was giving us a bunch of ideas for Country of the East. And if you were to link the creation of the Kuei Jin to East Asian cultures, one element that you could play around with is the fact that the Poe Awakens 
in many cases, before the death of the, the future Kuei Jin. So as they're a living mortal, they have this dark side, and it's awakened in them. And it's quite possible that the Kuei Jin courts could recognize that. They could see that an individual has the, uh, the, the awakened Poe. Now, as they die, or are maybe killed by the, uh, the court, uh, they are in a unique position to retain that body and... As it returns, it awakens back from its uh, uh, journey to the Thousand Hells. They basically have a new recruits that they, they, they can quickly put onto a specific Darwick path and uh, use in their, in their Shadow War. So I think if you have that kind of cultural backing with like existing courts on the lookout for future Kuei Jin, you could have some pretty interesting plot points right there uh, and how they might interact with other... Uh, groups in the world of darkness you know vampires kindred mages etc i really like the idea of yeah kaijin actually noting potential candidates and actively taking a role then when that person dies or if they actually purposely kill them doing the indoctrination i think that really sets up the dynamics of of the characters a lot more rather than just oh hey you're a you're Kaijin, you've somehow come through hell. And even that journey back from hell or from the underworld can be role-played out because there's no reason why their mentors can't go into hell looking for them and creating the path for them. I think there's a lot more there that you can play with. So, yeah, I like that. Well, I mean, there's, there's actual strong uh, taboos against going to the Thousand Hells. You know, they're the 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 uh, the five dharmas generally frown upon that, and uh, will label you as uh, servants of the uh, the Yama kings uh, if right, you do okay. it too often. So, I mean, there's 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 real uh, that's really frowned upon to, to go down there too often. Well, well, then rather than go down there, at least you know, um, you know, you sign you create the signposts in the real world which reflect into that world so that the soul can come back to its body but i do much prefer the idea that the person that the kaijin is is in effect created but not in the same manner as a kindred so it's not an embrace but it's preparing the body which in some respects has more parallels to things like in um promethean and also with even with mummy the the risen in some respects there's kind of elements are like that where you're preparing the body for the return of this particular soul well also um, um the quajin have to be particularly willful uh, right they have to have a certain willpower requirement yeah. to even to even fight their way <clears throat> excuse me to fight their way out of hell so if you just have people who are looking around for you know people who are very stubborn people who are very willful in life that's uh and then you know offing them with a whole bunch of stuff left to do so that they become race and then go to hell and come back hey it's now it's a very roundabout <laughs> way of doing things but the other thing i was going to say is that because they're because they're essentially you know because they're risen essentially um and they're not kindred they can't create ghouls and they can't mm -hmm. embrace but i'm because there is a uh I mean, we established that, that there's clearly there is something about the Eastern Eastern religions which allow, which create the framework for Kuai Jin to exist and why they're different to, 
to risen so linked to that and linked to this idea that yes actually the the creation of quaijin is is actually has is not a random is not always a random event can this also link in the idea that quaijin have mortal cults around them again kind of looking at ideas from from mummy the curse so is there much in that because again I'm, I'm not i don't know if i missed anything that these 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 quaijin courts have mortals within these courts that they utilize not a ton there's definitely some but they tend to be like hedge wizards and that sort yeah. of thing uh or or mediums but that's given, a pretty common but thing. given the ancestor worship i think that's a really good aspect to go with is a cult almost again similar to also in guys is, is a a cult of mortals that you're you're using because you're using them to to chat to to generate chi of the right type to look after your dragon's nests these locations you're going to need people to do all this whether they're also gangsters and triads or whatever the hell you know pick and choose depending upon the culture and location of of the game but then also these are cultists that eventually one or two may well be you know one or two every i don't know every two or three decades you might find someone that is is appropriate to push further down the path that they are a potential kaijin in the making. Um, one of the heretical dharmas, the face of the gods, which is uh, primarily in, uh, where are they? Uh, India. Mm. Uh, they do, in fact, have uh, worshippers and uh, their little special uh, discipline is called prayer eating, hmm. where uh, if you have followers who pray to you. You can hear them, and I believe, and you can eventually answer their prayers and uh, gain chi from their worship. Cool. So I, yeah, I, that, that is an option. It's an option. I'd actually make that the, more of a default rather than a heresy. I would do a full rewrite and make that more within their society, because otherwise, it just feels like too. It's a bit too random with with when kaijin turn up. Um, anyway, that's my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think that covers a lot of uh, uh, Kindred of the East and the Quajin. Do we have any extra ideas for how we might cross them over? Um, and any other like book recommendations? Uh, I know Chig, you've explored the line more than Chris or I, so you might be uh, in a good position to talk about this. Uh, yeah, uh, there are the the Shifters of the East, the Hinge Yokai. Uh, so apparently in Asia, there was no real war of rage, which is, uh, as werewolf players know, that's where the werewolves decided to just go out and straight up murder all of the other, uh, shifter races, which really screwed things up. So there are plenty of, uh, other shifters. Uh, and so the, uh, the werewolves and the werecrows and the werefoxes and all that, are all still around and uh they often uh get together in the and form courts that uh are often opposed to the Quajin because they are uh competing for the dragon lines and the dragon nests so if you wanted to have a uh a fun and exciting just you know since like you said a lot of the the disciplines are very combat focused you could do just a straight up fight it out for resources between the uh, Kuei-jin and the Hinge-yokai. And that actually, that's really good for the uh, more mythological uh, setting ideas. 
interacting with uh, those other creatures. Right. Or it could just be a more standard World of Darkness game where you're not some weirdo maybe god thing that is worshipped by a small cult. You're just uh, a group of Kuei Jin who have fought their way back from hell and hey, you found a place that you can go to and get the energy necessary to keep your bodies from rotting without having to murder a whole bunch of people. And uh, now there's these uh, monsters, the werewolves, the werebears, who are coming to say, no, 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 that's our dragon nest. You go find your own. And when you find that, we're going to take it away too. So it's, it's a more standard World of Darkness kind of uh, resource control game, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Then there's the, the Kuei Jin and the, the regular wraithly underworld dark kingdom of jade um i really don't see a lot of difference between the the regular wraiths slash risen and quajin as, as we've mentioned several times here they're kind of sort of the same thing ish but i i do want to know and i'm sure this is covered somewhere in in some book that none of us has read uh, how the the regular inhabitants of the Dark Kingdom of Jade see the Kuei Jin. Are they, do they see them as, as somehow better or somehow worse because they, they're stuck going back to Earth and they can't transcend? Or do they see them as, as better because, oh no, they're not stuck here in this crummy underworld like we are? And what's preventing them from going out and becoming a, a Kuei Jin themselves. So that that might be an interesting story, especially since the, uh, the Kuei Jin can travel to all these other worlds, including the regular Land of the Dead, the Dark Kingdom of Jade. Mm. That'd be pretty cool. What's the other thing? There's quite a lot of... It, there's a lot of scope to, to explore the difference between these, because I'm also interested in how Kuei Jin... Can they learn Arkanoi? Like, that's a question, or, or what are the parallels between their disciplines and Arkanoi? Just as there are parallels with the fact that Risen can learn disciplines from vampire stuff that we've covered before. So there's a whole mm. hotbed of, of things to look there. Yeah. Mechanically, the book clearly states that Kindred of the East cannot, or Equation cannot learn uh, vampire disciplines, the, uh, the, the Kindred of the West disciplines. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm gonna, like, this is me thinking about the fact that I've just finished running, at least for now, V5, and I homebrewed some rules for uh, Arisen using the idea of Hunger Dice, but, you know, using Hunger Dice to represent, like, Pathos and Shadow and all those things. God, if I was to put Kindred East into V5, I would, um, I would gut the disciplines. I would gut the disciplines because, I'm, again, I'm kind of, I'm just wondering how many of these disciplines are actually, um, actually just so similar to existing ones, or just, or amalgams, and and go that route, and or start creating Arkanoi and doing it that way, and and. Um, yeah, that's I, I. I think there's scope for putting them into into um, V5. Uh, I think you can you can use the idea of um, the humanity system with stains now to maybe start modeling things like Dharma and and Yin and Yang almost. Um, 
I think we actually have systems there that would work with that. Uh, the thing I'm most interested in then is how going into the new updates of the setting in V5 with the Metaplot fits in with with Kindred, because obviously we had the nuking of of the um, Ravnos antediluvian and however many um, Kaijin, um, you know, elders and such. Yeah, I believe it was three Bodhisattvas. Yeah, got annihilated in the process and all that stuff. So we are technically then in the start of the sixth age. So I I think there's a lot of interesting things to look at there, but I think it, to begin to want to bring them in, you kind of need also the mechanics to, to support playing the game. But yeah, I'd be interested to see, because obviously, again, Gehenna, maybe, you know, going back to what I said about how Kaijin look at the myth of Cain and kind of laugh at it, may well be more aware of how Gehenna is just a the Gehenna that's going on is just the thing that ushers in this age, just like another Gehenna event ushered in the fifth age and so forth and so forth and so forth. So Gehenna is actually just a turning of the wheel, not a, you know, a cycle of the age, not the end of everything. Right. Nice. So I guess to kind of start wrapping things up here a little bit, because we do have to record another episode immediately after this. Chig, what about some book recommendations? What about Heresies of the Way? How do you feel about it? Uh, honestly, I think the Heresies of the Way are way better than the uh, the non-heretical dharmas. Uh, there's one, uh, the Scorpion Eaters, which is just, uh, yeah, world's going to hell. We're uh, going to learn how to live off of eating uh, garbage and uh, just being horrible, horrible creatures. We are toxic waste. Sure enough, we can do that. Uh, there's the, the aforementioned, uh, face of the gods where they come back from hell and they go, huh? Yeah, I'm pretty awesome. You should worship me and then get the power to, you know, be worshiped. There's the flame of the rising Phoenix, which is uh, another cool one, which is just, uh, well, I died. I came back to life. I'm just going to go ahead and live my best life as good as I can, just in case I die again. And, uh, they do often die again, which is kind of sad. They're very short lived. Um, uh, and uh, the the spirit of the living earth, which uh, they come back from the dead, and hey, uh, now we can talk to uh, to nature spirits. So we're gonna go talk to some nature spirits. That sounds like fun. Hmm. Yeah, it really just seems like a more natural, logical response to being returned to this Quajin state than following one of these really strict dharmic paths like the resplendent cranes and all that kind of stuff yeah i would again i really want to know and i'm sure that you know there are dharma book this and that and the other i'm sure that it's covered how you get recruited into one of these dharmas in those books i've never read them oh yeah it definitely is it just does not make a whole bunch of sense to me but uh yeah the uh hmm. the, the heresies of the way strong recommend for someone who again does not play this game <laughs> <clears throat> And I think the last thing to kind of recommend for expanded reading, um, not only for inspiration for your Kindred of the East game, but uh, kind of as an alternative is, of course, Exalted. Um, Exalted First Edition was heavily inspired by Kindred of the East. A lot of the mythological elements and uh, cosmological elements are are grabbed, like uh of course, the Scarlet Empress, uh, the Blessed Isle, the uh, Evan Dragon is a uh, a major spiritual factor in the setting. And if you want to explore the kind of mythological angle 
of of kindred the east but without all the the baggage of the real world um i think that exalted first edition is definitely a, a cool sandbox alternative for you to check out and of course you can mix and match a lot of it they're both running off of the uh the older storyteller system so there's a just a, a huge amount of content that you can use and uh i think with that that kind of wraps up our uh our kindred of the east episode um I guess we'll kind of just go around. We'll, of course, we'll be covering the rules a little bit uh, next episode, but uh, you know, talking through it, how do you guys feel about the book? Uh, I okay. Let's go. Let's go for the first thing. Um, there's something that Sam said, and I think the <laughs> it, it's just the cover. She said looks like a Chinese restaurant menu. Um, <laughs> I think it could have yep. just been different just something better uh sometimes some of the art i find is a little just kind of like really really it's a bit too on the nose trying to be anime and just speaking about the book layout in total i just it's an assault on the eyes in places because you can (laughs) hardly read some of the text um as for concepts i'll tell you what i would take from this i would take from this and use it in my requiem game as a basis for for how to construct a covenant for for eastern some sort of eastern vampire covenant and mm-hmm. and utilize it that way and construct it based around a particular eastern philosophy and then at least you've got your 101 on well what do they think of balance and you know humanity and so forth and then you know given that Requiem Second Edition has got as a location to start your game is it's you've got examples of Beijing, what's going on there, what the covenants are, um, you know you've got particular uh, local groups. You could actually you could quite see how you could also do a parallel of um, of the Ordo Dracul with Kindred of the East because the Ordo Dracul are all about. Mm-hmm. Dragon's Nest, Ley Lines, um, just have almost convergent evolution of philosophy, but from that end, or maybe part of the Ordo Dracul's philosophy was stolen during the kind of Victorian kind of, you know, the um, colonial times, uh, that kind of period uh, was stolen from Eastern philosophy. And that's so some of the the tricks of um, coils. Uh, and some of the alchemy is actually stolen from a East Asian covenant. That's what I do, but you know, because I I have no no issues with mixing things up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff in here, but there's also a lot of really awesome ideas. I was just kind of thinking, if I don't know if I'd play Kindred of the East, but I kind of want to just take the rules and use that to play an Exalted. I think that'd be pretty sweet. So that's what I'm gonna go with. Ah, I just found it, Mike. That's the one. You could p- use this as a basis to expand upon, uh, and this is coming from Vampire the Requiem Dance Macabre, is the Jiangxi, which are a vampire clan, full-blown clan with their own discipline. Well, they've, they've not got their own discipline, but they've got their own, you know, bane and stuff. So that's another thing you could do with it. Oh, right on. Cool. That was, that nice. was easy work. <laughs> and Chig, what's your ultimate review? It's definitely a book that's on my shelf. <laughs> Shit. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I would play Kindred of the East. I'm sorry. I, I know that the, the game has plenty of fans, but I am not one of them. Uh, I, again, I haven't given it that much of a chance, but from what I've read, 
I don't think I'm ever gonna. All right, fair enough. Well, again, uh, check out uh, next week's episode where we're going to talk about uh, Kindred Lee's character creation. So that'll be uh, pretty sweet. And uh, of course, uh, we definitely want to get some feedback on this new episode format. I know this uh, uh, first trial episode already ran kind of long, but uh, that's definitely all right. There's a lot to cover with uh, Kindred of the East. So you can uh, email us over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. We're on facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. We have our Twitter, which is at darkerdaysradio. We're on Instagram. You can now subscribe to us on Spotify. Link is in the show notes. And of course, we have our Discord channel uh, where you can talk to us all the time. Again, link is in the show notes and we have a bit more activity on our wordpress so sam is writing uh, has a little uh, section on there called sam watches stuff she's got a view of um the haunting uh because we rewatched the 1999 uh film and also you've got oh no you've got my damning review of the dark souls board game oh no plus other weird stuff and minis so yeah you can also go there and chat to us as well yeah definitely check it out all right Chris, Chig, thank you so much for joining me on this journey to review Kindred of the East. Uh, it's been seven years in the making, and, uh, well, <laughs> we finally did it. It's been great. I guess can't wait to see how character creation goes. We'll yep. find out next week. And to all the listeners out there, thanks and good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Yeah, I've like I said, I try to read as much as I can of Kindred the East. I hate the book. Fucking hate it. <laughs> Seriously, no. I mean, like in layout, layout is obscene. It's just oh yeah, oh yeah. It's tr- try making a character. Try making a oh, goddamn fuck. character. I did notice that it was all over the place. Like there was.